anyway, it's great to see you tonight. Uh, I just want you to know, I'm in the Christmas spirit. I have two, I have a red sweater, a red shirt, and then I have one of those red and green plaids that everybody has, <laughs> you know. And uh, so I figured since the weather's going to change, I'd wear my one red shirt tonight in honor of Jesus. Amen? I don't know. How did they come up with red and green? Does anybody know how they came up with red and green as the, as the actual colors for Christmas? A holly bush? That's because he's married to Holly. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, does anybody know why red and green are the choices for Christmas? Nobody knows. Okay, well, I don't either. Anyway, uh, I'm going to jump right in tonight. And uh, I actually brought my Bible. I usually use my iPad or my iPhone. And so all of you that are really spiritual, would you hold up your Bibles tonight? <laughs> now, would all the ones that are not spiritual hold up their iPads or iPhones? <laughs> I know uh, I usually preach and use my iPad and iPhone because this thing, you have to work out to be able to hold on to this Bible. It is so heavy. This is the one I cut my teeth on. It's the New King James. But I wanted to impress my son tonight. And so I'm going to read out of, <laughs> I'm going to read chapter 8 of John I'm going to read the first 11 verses. I want you to follow with me because we're going to go into kind of a deep subject tonight. Now, everybody knows this story, or at least you've heard it, or, you know, I've preached on it at different times, but we're going to go into it tonight as though we never heard it before. So here we go. Lord Jesus, help us. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Now, Let's stop for a minute. Let me ask you, does the law of Moses say that a woman caught in adultery should be stoned to death? Yes, it does. Actually, it says it a little differently. I want you to see how it says it. Put up Leviticus 20.10, if you would, and uh, if you'll look with me, it says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Now, it's really interesting here. Have you noticed how they didn't bring the man and the woman? It takes two to commit adultery, doesn't it? Isn't it interesting they didn't bring the man? It's just the woman. So anyway, it says it a little differently, but it does say the law of Moses made it clear that adultery was worth stoning and stoning to death. And here's the other thing. I don't know if you know this, but the Ten Commandments, the Seventh Commandment, right after thou shalt not murder is thou shalt not commit adultery. So it's one of the ten. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And this story is, is an amazing story because Jesus actually, <laughs> it looks like he goes against the law of Moses. Now let's go a little further. Whoops, I'm in the wrong, wrong one here. Okay. We stopped at verse, let me see, where did we stop? Uh, okay. We stopped with verse... Uh, Verse, verse 8, I think. No, we didn't. 7, okay, 7. Um, so, so when they continued asking him, 
he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Now, you know, it's an interesting thing. If you look, read further down in Leviticus, it actually says that the two witnesses, and it had to be two witnesses. If just one witness said so-and-so committed adultery, that wasn't enough. There had to be two. And when there was a stoning, those two witnesses had to be the first to throw the stones. I don't know if you knew that. So Jesus said, you were without, without sin, cast the first stone. Now, here's what I want you to see. Uh, it goes on to say this. Uh, and, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, we don't know what he wrote on the ground. A lot of people have guessed different things. Some people say he wrote different sins on the ground. Sometimes, some people, he, he, he wrote like the sins of the people that were standing around. Uh, other people, we don't know what he wrote. But anyway, what he wrote had a powerful effect because <clears throat> then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience <clears throat> went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman was standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one, conde I'm sorry, has no one condemned you? Now, you can imagine this woman must have been scared to death, that she's about to be stoned to death. You can imagine the fear that gripped her. She thought, I'm dying. I'm going to die publicly. It's going to be a horrible way to die. It's going to be horrible. You can imagine her heart must have just been beating out of her chest. And then all of a sudden she looks up and there's nobody there. And uh, she said, no, no one, Lord. You can imagine this was a shock to her. And then he goes on. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, the next verse, which we often don't go to, actually says, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, if you just read this passage and no other passage, it looks like Jesus really goes light on adultery. In other words, he, he, it looks like he says, you know, he says, you know, I don't condemn you. But then he does add, go and sin no more. So I want to look at this because this blew the minds of the legalists. This blew the minds of the Pharisees. This blew the minds of the scribes. Uh, it was, it was a, it, it just, and I noticed that none of the other, John's the only one that mentions this story. None of the other, uh, none of the other uh, gospels mention this story. But it's a very, very powerful story. Because I believe it shows the nature of God. Remember, Jesus came to reveal the nature of God. I mean, he came to give his life for us, but it also came, he came to reveal the nature of God. And so I think out of this. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. Uh, if, if, if you look, first of all, was Jesus light on adultery? There's other places. There's another place in Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about adultery. In fact, we'll go there now. And that's in, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that's in Matthew 5. 2728. And uh, here's what he said. You have heard the commandment, and this is referring to the law, that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, does that sound like he's light on adultery? No. In fact, he's just redefined it in even a more difficult way. Because he's saying, even if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, and I assume it applies both ways. I don't think it's just men, but if women, you know. Uh, I, he said they're committing adultery. Now, here's the question I have. 
if a man or a woman looks at another person with lust in their heart, have they already committed the act of adultery? What do you think? How many say yes? Okay. How many say no? Okay. Looks a no's, few more no's and yeses. Uh, how many of you don't know? Well, that's the majority of you. Okay, so here, here's the answer. Here's the answer. Always read things in context because things can be taken out of context, and when they're taken out of context, they can mean something different than when they're in context. So let's read on. I'm going to read on the next two verses, and I, I think you'll see what I mean. <clears throat> so he goes on to say, So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, let me ask you something. Did he mean that literally? No, he didn't mean that literally. Otherwise, we'd all be walking around blind. I mean, to be honest, right? I mean, wouldn't we? Yeah. And then he goes on to say, uh, it's better to lose one part of your body than your whole, than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And then he says, if, if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, now let me ask him, did Jesus mean literally for us to cut off our hands and to gouge out our eyes? If we looked at someone with lust, that we should gouge out our eyes, and if we do something wrong, we should cut off our hands? Did he mean that literally? No, of course not. Otherwise, we'd be walking around with stumps and blind. I mean, we'd be a mess. So what Jesus was trying to get across was you've got to cut that area before it manifests in the sin. Now, I've talked to people that have said, well, I lusted after the person, so therefore I felt I'd already sinned, so I felt like it wasn't any worse to go sleep with the person. Now, that's ignorance gone to seed. That's just stupid. But they took this passage, and that's the way they interpret it. Well, if I already lusted for the person, then I might as well just go to bed with them because what's the difference? I've already sinned. No, that's not what he was saying. He said, cut it off at the place before it manifests. Let me ask you another question. Are all sins, every sin, are they on an equal plane? In other words, are, are they all equal? Okay, yes. You say, most people say yes. Anybody say no? Okay, we got a couple of people say no because you've heard what I said about this. Anyway, uh, so here's the deal. On one plane, it's true. Every sin is equal because any sin will keep you from heaven. Amen? However, you know, without Jesus, in other words, sins will keep you from heaven. So all those, any sin. However, is murder and is murder the same as lying? Is there any difference? Different consequences. So is any sin worse? Is lying as bad as murder? No. I mean, we can, let's talk common sense. Let's not get too religious, okay? So let's just talk from a common sense standpoint. No, murder's worse. Was Adolf Hitler a worse sinner than you? I, I hope so. <laughs> You'll definitely need prayer tonight. <laughs> uh, and so there are degradations of sin. And, and so it's important to understand that, but any sin causes a break in relationship with the Father, okay? So it's really important to know that, and it's important to know that Jesus died for every sin. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took all the sins of the world upon himself. Now, there's only one sin that will send you to hell. 
You know what that sin is? It's rejection. It's not adultery. It's not murder. It's not any of those things. It's rejection of the source of forgiveness. The rejection of Jesus Christ is the only sin that will send you to hell. Think about it. So it's really important to know that. It's important to know, and that's why it's so important for us to be able to share Christ. We have great opportunities during the holiday season because we're around relatives and we're around people, and it's easier to talk about Christmas and Jesus during that time. And so <laughs> the truth is that when you begin to understand that. Now, I also want to say that there's degradations of sin. Do you know that actual sexual sin is considered worse than other sins? Do you know that? Let me give you the scripture because some of you look like a calf looking at a new gate. Like, you don't get that. Okay, so uh, actually go ahead and put up uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. And uh, it says this. It says, uh, yeah, go back to verse 18 if you would. Okay, now the words here are flee sexual immorality. The Greek is fugeo, meaning flee, as in terror, uh, porneo. The actual word here translated immorality is porneo. Now, immorality is a, is a kind of, it's a, weak, uh, it's a weak translation. Because the word porneo actually means fornication, adultery, or homosexual intercourse. And so what they're talking about here is to flee. That's what, it's, that's what the actual Greek word means. It means to flee it at all costs. Because every sin that a man does is outside the body, a man or a woman, but he or she who commits sexual sin, and it's, uh, basically it's porneo again, commits that against their own body. So in other words, there's something different in the degradation. You know, sexual sin has much greater consequences. Somebody mentioned the term consequence. It has great consequences. Uh, and when there's adultery involved, it's also breaking the marriage covenant because it's a person who's having uh, intercourse with a person who is married to somebody else. And so, uh, and so it's very, very serious. So when Jesus treats this, it looks like he treats it really lightly because he said, you know, <laughs> where your condemners, you know, go and sin no more. Now, I want you to see the root of this because when we begin to understand it, here's the problem. If you've ever committed adultery or if you've had a, you know, a boyfriend or a girlfriend that committed adultery or, you know, was unfaithful or a spouse that committed adultery, or, or maybe, you know, parents that committed adultery. I mean, if that ever happened to you, you're impacted by that, you know, and a lot of people are impacted by that. And, and so that, that, that sin really has tremendous consequences. And, and so the Scripture says if you sow to the flesh, this is in, uh, <clears throat> actually in uh, Galatians 6, I don't have it, but Galatians 6, 9, it says if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap to the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap to the Spirit. And actually what it says here, you'll actually, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap destruction. So there are major consequences to sin. Here's the deal, though. Jesus forgives all sin. So if you messed up, if you walk in condemnation for the rest of your life, the enemy will continue to beat you down, beat you up, and you're not going to have a good relationship with the Lord because you're going to feel like God is so mad at you and you're so angry at yourself, you can't forgive yourself for the mistake you made and you can't, you know, you're just upset. And so it's hard for you to have a relationship with God. It's hard for you to walk in the freedom that Jesus died for you to have. In the same way, if somebody that you're close to, you know, a spouse or whatever, if they commit adultery, it's extremely painful for you 
but you are going to have to forgive them or you're going to be walking in bitterness and that's going to mess up your life. So whether you're a victim or whether you're the perpetrator, you both, all, everybody needs to receive that forgiveness from Jesus and either release it or receive it from themselves. So I just want to say that adultery is a horrible thing and it has tremendously strong effects. But the good news is Jesus can break the power of that. Now, are there consequences of sin? Absolutely. Look at David. David committed murder and adultery. He, you know, he committed, uh, and David was considered a man after God's own heart. And so here's the thing I want you to say. If David can sin, then I don't think any of us, you know, can say, well, you know, I, 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 it could never happen to me. Because that's when people, pride comes before a fall. And so it's important to recognize that we're all susceptible. We are human beings. God placed in us a sexual drive. Otherwise, the human race would not procreate. It would not increase. And the problem is, though, just like a fire tomorrow night when the weather's really cold, it's going down to about three degrees. Tomorrow night, it's good to have a fire, but how many know if it stays in the fireplace, it's great, but if it jumps out on the carpet, how many know that's not a good thing? In the same way, a sexual drive is a good thing when it's within the bonds of marriage. But outside of that, it can be very destructive. And I know in our society now, everything is, well, you know, it, it, we're, we're in, you know, and, and I experienced this back in the 60s and 70s, you know, with the, I mean, I was a hippie and a flower child and everything, and, you know, it was make love, not war. And, and, uh, and so everything was, it was very permissive. But that permissiveness has even more permeated our society now, you know, now than it did back then. So here's the thing. Jesus was not saying, hey, it's okay, you know. Here's the thing you need to see. Jesus forgives adultery. We need to forgive if we became a victim of that, of someone we loved. We need to be able to forgive. But here's the deal. That's important to see. But Jesus also said just this phrase, go and sin no more. Now, we don't know what happened to this lady. We don't know what happened to her outcome, but I believe chances are strong that she was so impacted by the love and the mercy and the grace of God that I believe that she changed her lifestyle. I believe it had a tremendous impact. Now, what's the other example? The other example is if they had embarrassed her or stoned her to death, uh, you know, what kind of an effect would that have had on her? Here's the scripture I want you to see. Put up uh, Romans 2.4, if you would, please. Romans 2.4 is a very, very powerful statement. And it's a statement sometimes that we, sometimes as Christians, we don't understand because we want to hammer sin. We want to hammer people to, to stay away from sin. But the scripture actually says, it says the goodness of God. Um, it's the goodness of God that I think it's, I think we have, yeah, Romans 2.4. It says, do you, or, you do, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the what? The what? The goodness of God leads to repentance. Now, let's look at that for a moment. Now, if I make a mistake, whatever it is, a sexual mistake or whatever mistake, if I make a mistake and I don't believe that God is a loving God and a forgiving God, what's going to happen? I'm probably going to go deeper into that. I'm going to try to cover it up. I'm going to try to, because after all, God's angry with me, and, and he's mad at me, and, you know, and, I, and I'm going to stay under this condemnation, and the enemy's just going to be able to drive me deeper and deeper and deeper 
in, into what, I, what, I, what I've done. However, if I know that God is good, and that he loves me deeply, and I know the story of how Jesus, you know, just released an incredible forgiveness, but also added the words, go and sin no more. I believe that the, that love is going to change me, and I'm going to go, wow. It's not that I can't do this. I don't want to do it because I now have a relationship with someone that is so precious, who so deeply loves me and doesn't want me to do things that are destructive to my life. You see, God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. He, he hates what it does to people. I mean, sin has, you know, I, I mean, just, you just look around at our world and our society, and, and you know, that it, it just... It, it breaks my heart as a pastor when I see what it does to families, what I see that it does to people. It just ruins them. And, uh, you know, oftentimes um, people are susceptible to that. Maybe they feel really insecure and they feel unloved and all of a sudden somebody shows them affection. The next thing you know, boom, they're, you know, and, 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 but there's consequences. And so, so I got to tell you, this is an incredible story. Because the story shows how much God loves us. Jesus walked on the earth representing God, showing how God felt toward us. If you just look at the law, it looks like God's a harsh God. I mean, after all, you blow it, you're, you're dead. You're stoned to death. And, and yet Jesus is saying, no, no, there's tremendous consequences to sin. I don't want you to sin. In fact, I gave my life so that people could be forgiven of their sin. So I, I wanted to empower them to be able to forgive others who sinned against them. And so when you begin to see that, you go behind the scenes, you go to a deeper level, and you see how, how deeply, how deeply God loves us. And when you see that, it really changes the way you act. Now, I want to say that we never know how a person repents. We never know the, the reality. But if you really experience the goodness of God and you've done something or somebody's done something to you, you know, that goodness empowers you because you see, let's say somebody's done something bad to you. You see how, wow, God loves me so much. Jesus hung and died on a cross for me. He forgave me and now he's empowering me. I see all the dumb stuff I've done. He's forgiven me. Now I've got to forgive this person the one thing they did. You see how it empowers us? On the other hand, if I do something really stupid, when I see how much he loves me, it causes me to want to run to him, not run from him. It causes me not to want to stay in that place of condemnation and beat myself up. You know, sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself when you make a mistake. But it doesn't do any good to beat yourself up and stay in condemnation. It's so important to come out of that. And so we see, you know, there's so much in this. What I want you to see, though, is repentance is so important to receiving the fullness of what God has for you. If you blow it and you kind of say, well, I'm sorry, God. You know, I know you're a forgiving God. So I, but if you don't do it from the heart, I believe you don't receive the full benefit. Let me just show you the scripture that really brings that up. It's 2 Corinthians Chapter, oh, what is it? Second Corinthians 7, verses, uh, I think it's 10 and 11. Is that it? Yeah. Okay, now, it says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to what? Now, this isn't talking about salvation of coming to know Jesus and being saved from death and hell. It, it's talking about 
The word here, salvation, sozo, has a lot of meanings. It, it has the meaning of healing, has the meaning of deliverance. I mean, it's got a lot, it's, it's a wide range of meanings. Here, it's really talking about deliverance. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to deliverance and leaves no regret. In other words, it, it basically minimizes the consequences. Doesn't mean there aren't going to be some consequences, but it's going to minimize the consequences. So obviously that repentance is extremely important to becoming free, becoming free of the consequences. You know, when you blow it, the sooner you can repent from the heart and receive that forgiveness, the less are the consequences. The longer it goes, the more you cover it up, the, more, the, the, the worse are the consequences. I mean, that's just common sense. I mean, but the scripture says the same thing. And here it says this, but worldly sorrow does what? Brings what? Death. Worldly sorrow is basically being sorrowful to the world but not to God. I don't have time to take you there, but King Saul uh, actually repented, supposedly. He repented uh, to, the, to the prophet that came to him, uh, and he repented to the world, but he didn't repent to God. When David was caught in the sin and finally realized it, Psalm 51, you can see he cries out and he says, you, oh God, have you, he forgets about the prophet that came to him and told him this, and he begins to cry out to God and said, God, it's you alone who I've sinned against. Please forgive me, you know, create in me a clean heart, oh God. He restored to me and do not take your Holy Spirit away. In other words, he's crying out and his repentance is so sincere that even though there were consequences and there were problems in his family down the line because of what happened, he had his kingship restored. Whereas King Saul, his kingship was never restored. He lost his kingship because he never fully repented. And so the power of repentance is really good. And sometimes we can fool ourselves. It's got to come from the heart. And so it goes on to say in the next verse, look at verse 11, where it goes on to say this. And by the way, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians because they were involved in sexual sin. And he writes this letter, and he really wrote them a harsh letter. We don't know what the letter was, but it was, must have been harsh because he said, I'm so sorry that this, caused you, that this caused you pain, but I'm so glad that it did because you repented with a godly sorrow, and it, it changed everything. And so he goes on to say this. He says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you? Uh, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. Now, they weren't innocent, but what he was saying is because of their repentance and receiving it and handling what they did out of not only, you know what the word repentance means? I mean, the word comes from metanoia, the Greek. It means to change your mind. So the mind has to change first, and out of that, then the actions change. This is exactly what happened in the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church was known for sexual problems. In fact, almost on every corner, they would have a temple where they would have temple prostitutes. And one of the ways they would worship, uh, you know, the, their pagan worship, was to go in there and have intercourse with the prostitutes. And they were both male and female prostitutes. And so i got to tell you, the, Corinth was steeped in sexual sin. It was steeped in sexual problems. And so when Paul's dealing with this, this is stuff was very cultural. It was very strong in their culture. And so he was bringing, he was bringing to light the, the cure for what was going to help them to come out of these things. And actually this happened, uh, you know, uh, in, the, in the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians where they were dealing with a, with a, with a sexual problem and God does an, an amazing work 
and the people change, and, and God brings glory out of it. And we have a record of it, uh, <clears throat> and, which is really helpful to us. You know, we live in a very sexually charged society. I mean, that's obvious. And so it's so important to guard your heart. It's so important to walk close to Jesus. It's so important to know he's a good God. If you start to slip, remember what Jesus said. If you start to slip into something that's sin, what do you do? You deal with it right at the point. In other words, you stop looking. You stop, you know, you catch it at the very heart before it becomes manifested in action. The same way, you cut it off. You cut off that thing where the motivation is before it actually becomes something that's out of control. Like I said, if, if you have a fire tomorrow night in your fireplace and, and a little, uh, you know, just something jumps out on, on, your, on your carpet, if you can stomp it out right away and get rid of it, then that's going to stop it. Amen? But if you just let it go and then another one jumps out and, you know, and that next thing you've got a big fire and it takes down your house. And so it's so important to recognize that God is for us. If God's for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. doesn't matter what's against us. We need to know. So we've got to let things go that maybe happened in the past. We've got to really forgive ourselves if we've started to move into that area, but then we need to turn from it. As I said, repentance is changing your mind, which also changes your actions. Changing your mind about who God is and what kind of a God he is. He's a God of love. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of second chances. He's a God who really deeply, deeply cares about us. And he's a God that doesn't want us to walk in bitterness and anger because something wrong, we were victimized. I was sexually molested as a child. I had to walk through some counseling to be able to forgive that babysitter, uh, you know, years later, years later, because it affected me. I didn't know it, but I held this anger and hatred. And, and so God wants to, and this is the wonderful thing. No matter what's happened in your past, no matter what's happened in your life, God is a restoring God. He brings healing. He brings hope. He brings all those things. And, uh, and so, you know, I've, I've been doing more counseling now in my role, and I've had an opportunity to sit down with people. It's amazing. Uh, it's, it's just amazing the opportunities to bring the reality of what God's really like. And it's amazing to me that some pe so many people, they get a misconception of God. So I want to pray for you, and then I want you to be able to go and, and be able to discuss this uh, in, your, in your groups, and uh, I want you to be able to share all your sins. No, I'm teasing. Anyway, <laughs> reminds me of the joke of the, the, the three pastors that we're sharing, and uh, they're, they're really open about it, and they're sharing very honestly, and I hope I don't blow this. <laughs> this just uh, came off the top of my head, so I hope, I hope we get the, the line. But the, the first guy goes, yeah, you know, he said, uh, uh, you know, they're meeting, and the first pastor goes, yeah, you know what, I've really been having a problem with lust, and man, I just need to confess to you guys, and you know, I'm having lust with this problem, and, I, and I'm struggling. And the next guy goes, yeah, I'm really having a problem with money. You know, I haven't been able to handle money. I've actually been pocketing a little of money, and, and, uh, and you know, and the third guy goes, man, I'm really having a problem with gossip, <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to get out of this meeting. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I want to pray for you. I want to pray. We've, we've dealt with a heavy subject. It's good to end with a joke, and I'm glad the Lord helped me to remember it. Anyway, uh, but, but uh, let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you and praise you for each and every person here. Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus who demonstrated the goodness of God, who showed the love of God, and how he cares more about people. Yes, the rules, the law was set to help people, not to, not to go beyond the rule. The, the, beyond the bounds of the law. But unfortunately, <laughs> all have sinned, the Scripture says, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so, Jesus, we needed you so much, and we still need you. And we thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. 
And so tonight, Father, anybody that's struggling with something in the past, I pray that you'll just free them. Father, anybody that was any, became a victim in any way, Father, I pray that you'll help to release forgiveness to those people. And also, Lord, let us hold this story close to our heart that we would remember what you're like, Jesus, and what you're like, Father. And so, Father, help us to walk through this world because you said you ended this story with, I'm the light of the world. And he who walks with me who walk in light and life will have life. And so, Father, we thank you because we know you. We can walk in life. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you guide and lead us. And so we give you the glory, Father, and we thank you and praise you that you're always setting us free and you're helping us to set others free. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. So thank you, guys. Thank you for coming tonight. I thought, I asked my wife, I said, please make sure you show up. It's right before Christmas. I'm not sure anybody's going to show up tonight, but you did. I love you, and uh, you're faithful. And Jim, go ahead. Yeah, let's come <laughs> thank again. You. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. So we will we'll go out to the tables like normal. I just want to make two quick announcements. One, we are not having dinner or service next Wednesday night, so don't show up here because no one will be here. Uh, and we will resume on January 3rd, and Brian Finnamore will be here, and we'll kick off with John chapter 9. So let's uh, head out to the tables and discuss. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas.